Erica Barris from Planet Money, welcome to Rico Daily. Hi, thanks for having me. So you recently went on an adventure to see a place in New York that very few people get to see. It's called a dark store? Yeah, we know what a store store is, right? Like you walk by one on the street, you know what that is. That's a store. Sure. A dark store is the same concept. You walk by one on the street, but you can't actually go into it. Inside, there is like a little warehouse, and it is a place that operates and functions like a store. It's just not open to customers. There's not like a cashier. There aren't any of the things that you associate with a store at the very front of it. You could live right next door. You could live above this building. You could live, you know, on the same block, but you wouldn't go in. You'd actually have to go on your phone, download an app. You'd pick out the things you want on the app, and then they would bring you the items. And a bunch of startups and venture capitalists are betting that it'll be the next big thing in the grocery industry. We're used to like the apps that say, hey, in two hours, you'll get your groceries, maybe the next day, maybe later in the day. A lot of these apps advertise on the idea that you can get groceries in 15 minutes or 20 minutes or like 30 minutes, which is wild. Like from the time you hit a button, they're going to just bring you all the stuff that you order. Well, I can't leave my building in Brooklyn and walk to the bodega and back in 15 minutes, I don't think. So <laughs> how do these dark stores pull off such a fast delivery speed? You went to one in New York. What did you learn? Yes, I also can't do that. I can't walk anywhere, get groceries and come back in 15 minutes. And so that was like one of the big driving questions is how on earth are they doing this? And the way they're doing this is they're doing all of these very small things that are sort of shaving time off in the way that you or I would go get our groceries. Number one, the aisles are all really narrow and they're all one way. So if you walk into the store you can kind of just whip through really quickly. I think the way it's organized is also very different. If you or I walk into a store, like a typical grocery store, the way it's usually organized is the very first thing you see is like flowers or something near the front where you're like, oh, flowers, that's nice. And you kind of relax a little, right? Sure. And then you go into the produce section because that's what people are typically there to get. And you pick out some stuff. It's all color blocked. It's like usually nicely arranged. And this is very different. You walk in and go down the first aisle, it's going to be all the heaviest stuff. It's going to be like the big cases of soda or juice or whatever. And they're very strategically have the store stacked in a way that they know where everything in the store is. They sort of strategically place things that might be confused on different shelves. So you're not going to have like spaghetti and linguine next to each other. You're not going to have a tomato sauce and like a tiki masala sauce that might look kind of similar next to each other. They're going to be on different shelves. So when you grab them, you're not accidentally grabbing the wrong thing. And then at the very end, you're going to have those fruits and vegetables because they can be kind of easily bumped and bruised and stuff. So they go on top of the bag that's being packed. And then they are delivering these things almost immediately. So there are bike messengers and they're sort of optimizing the routes like they have their own um, their own version of like Google Maps, essentially. Like this is the quickest way to get from here to there. If you're on a bicycle and you're carrying 40 pounds of groceries, essentially. The way you describe it, it kind of reminds me of grocery shopping at the beginning of the pandemic, where you had arrows telling you which way to go down an aisle and you were trying to get in and out as quickly as possible. But typically, grocery stores kind of like you to stick around so you buy more stuff, right? Yeah, that is actually um, one of the more interesting parts of doing this piece was learning all of the ways in which grocery stores and all retail really just want you to stay in a space. There is an entire field um, sort of devoted to how to keep a customer inside a store. From the minute you walk into the store, there's like something they call the decompression area. And essentially it changes your mind as to like, oh, you're out on the street, you're in a parking lot, and all of a sudden now you're in a place where you're going to spend money. And 
and you grab a cart and the cart, you know, kind of purposely moves a little bit slower so that, you know, you can take your time. And then all these little things that you sort of see in a store that you don't really think about, like the end cap is sort of meant to make you break a little bit. The way things are set up on a shelf are meant to make you break. You know, the way that the fruit is organized is meant to make you kind of go slowly and then kind of very quickly zigzag through a certain area. And all of that is sort of meant to make you stay longer, spend more money, do more things. When you go into a dark store, they don't care if you want to spend some time there because it's no one is going in. It's just the people that are picking the stuff. So it's more like a warehouse, but a really teeny tiny warehouse because it's, you know, like 3000 feet or so. And because all of these orders are coming in through apps, I have to imagine that these dark stores are just gathering a ton of data about what you're ordering and what you like. Yeah. And, you know, different from like all these other sorts of apps, like, say, Instacart, the dark stores own pretty much the entire experience, right? So they own the software that you're ordering on. They own the inventory you're ordering from. They are the ones making the delivery. And then they also own all the data. So they have these data that they're collecting and they know what kind of people live in a community, what kind of stuff they want to order, how often they're ordering this stuff, how much they're willing to pay for it. You know, like there's this, all this kind of stuff that they are collecting and they're using. One of the companies I talked to is this company called GoPuff that is sort of like the leader in the industry. And I think they have like 70% of the market share. And they had recently acquired a beverage delivery company. So they have all this data of who's ordering what kind of drinks and when they're ordering them, which is just like super fascinating. And then they can use that data to sort of strategically set things up in the store. Like people in the Lower East Side love beans. So let's get lots of beans in the store. And people in Brooklyn really love bread. So let's get lots of bread or, you know, whatever it may be. Well, there are so many moving parts here. I have to imagine that sometimes the machine just sort of breaks and things don't go as planned. Did you notice any hiccups when you were visiting the store? There's like the big hiccup that can happen, which is what happens if the power just goes out? Like, (laughs) you know, what do you do then? And they're like, oh, that's happened. We have a generator. But then there's like all the little hiccups that happen like all the time. If you're like in a regular grocery store and like something breaks, you just have to close an aisle and mop it up and it's not the end of the world. But if your whole like business strategy is in 15 minutes, we're going to get you food that throws everything out the window and like you can't go through that aisle, you know. That didn't happen while I was there, but there were other small things that happened, like someone's phone died and you can't go out on a delivery if your app isn't working to know where to deliver something. Or there were so many people out, but the orders all came in at the same time. Or someone orders something on the app, but then it's not actually in the store. So then they have to call the person and be like, can we do this and can we do that? And that just changes sort of the flow and they have to figure out why is this still on the app? We have to take it down before someone else orders it. All those like sort of little things take like, what, a minute, two minutes. But then if your whole model is like, hey, we're going to deliver you stuff in 15 minutes. And now suddenly you're spent 10 extra minutes trying to fix all these little problems. That's a bigger problem. And I can't remember if you mentioned, do these dark stores also sell booze? It's actually really hard to get liquor licenses. And so there's one company that does. But the one that I visited sells booze through the app, but doesn't actually sell it in the store. You can order one beer through the app with your order. And then the person there has to go to another store, pick up that beer, and then bring it to you. Wow. Which is like... Those are like two steps, you know, (laughs) but you don't see that on your side. You're just like, oh, I ordered beer and it just showed up at my front door. But in terms of efficiency, that is not the most efficient model. Well, you've mentioned a couple of companies, but can we talk a little bit more about GoPuff and, and the other companies in this space and where they're getting their funding? 
Sure. So GoPuff, it's nine years old. 2013 is when it started. It started in Philadelphia, but most of the other companies have actually started overseas. Gorilla is a company I visited. They're actually based in Berlin. There's uh, Gatier is based in Turkey. There's a couple companies from Spain and elsewhere. And they're all sort of venture capital privately funded. And this is just something that people have just been putting money into. And why do so many companies and VC firms want to get into the grocery game to begin with? because it is so incredibly profitable. We spend more than a trillion dollars on groceries, which is more than we spend on clothes or furniture or a lot of other things that we spend a lot of money on. It's very hard to compete. And every now and then, a company like, say, like Trader Joe's comes in and says, like, hey, we're new in the field and we're very successful. But for the most part, it is a lot of established businesses that succeed in the world of grocery. But this is a little different because it's also kind of playing on this other thing we've seen for the last few years, which is e-commerce has really kind of gone up, you know, because of the pandemic and people like convenience. And the more you combine things that people need and want together, maybe the more money there is to be had. I mean, that's kind of the probably the rationale as to why people want to invest in this is if one of them sticks, then then that's a good thing, you know. Right. And it seems like. A lot of different companies have tried this. I remember a headline when Amazon acquired Whole Foods being that this is how Jeff Bezos can really crack into the grocery business because Amazon had a hard time doing it. How are these new companies faring in this really competitive environment? Yeah. And it's actually funny. You mentioned Whole Foods. When I was working on this, I found out about this company in the late 90s called Cosmo that actually tried doing this in New York. And they had the same sort of business model. They could get you anything in like a half hour, you know, and by anything, they weren't doing perishable stuff like meat and milk or anything, but they were bringing you like candy bars and videos. That's how we watch movies back then. And they had millions and millions of dollars of venture capital money that was pumped into it. They went through all of it and then they they closed. Hmm. And when I was working on this, I talked to one of the founders and he was talking about how like even though the technology is so different now, it's really not that different. Like it's really, really hard to make a profit at this. And the only way that the bigger companies like Amazon and Whole Foods can sort of keep doing this is because they have so many other like ventures that are also funding this. So they're not putting all their eggs in one basket. They have other things that are kind of propping up their business. So if they lose money on delivery, it still looks good for them. And it's still a way that they can maybe eventually make money. Since you did your story, a few of these companies have already gone belly up or gotten bought. Yeah, a lot of these companies are much smaller. And so they've already been acquired by other companies. So GoGolf has already acquired a couple of small companies, including, I think, BevMo, which was the alcohol company. And then there were two companies, Fridge No More and Bike, which one was Russian owned and the other one was backed by a Russian venture capital fund. And they closed. They both said temporarily until they get funding again, but they have both not reopened. Well, I have to wonder, after your visit to the dark store, which I will say sounds a little dystopian. <laughs> Has that changed the way you grocery shop or the way you think about grocery shopping? I might be an outlier because I really love grocery shopping. And so the thought of getting my groceries delivered, I was like, why would I do that when I can just spend time in a grocery store, my favorite place? It has changed the way in which I think about how stores are designed. I think there are things that, you know, we don't realize we are experiencing while we're experiencing them. So I'd never really thought about the fact like, oh, yeah, there is something sort of welcoming at the beginning of a store. You know, no matter what kind of store it is, you know, whether it's like flowers in one store or like pumpkins or, you know, maybe it's just like Valentine's Day candy or like Easter egg candy or whatever it may be. And it also made me think about the way the aisles are designed. 
One of the things that someone told me is that shopping carts are designed because most of us are right-handed to push with our left hand, but then be able to reach with our right hand. Um, one retail architect told me that he usually rides on a skateboard through the aisles to figure out exactly where they would put things for children when they're setting up a store, which is just like fascinating. So yeah, I do think about that stuff and I'm like, it's true, that actually is how they set the store up. There is a whole like world of small things that are done so that you know we can kind of experience a store in a different way. Erica, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was a pleasure. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon. The mix is by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.